Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, as I continue our series, our summer series. It's still summer. Praise the Lord. Today's the 12th message in our series, The Holy Spirit According to Jesus. And we're returning to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's our main text once again. It was our main text last Sunday. It's on page 575 if you're using a pew Bible. In Acts chapter 1, it's Ascension Day. The day the resurrected Jesus will be taken up into the clouds and return to the Father in heaven. Forty days after his resurrection, right before he ascends, Jesus commanded his disciples in verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1 not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus shares a simple fact with his disciples. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus was sharing a simple fact. This was not a command. It was a simple fact. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you. We love you. What a joy to know you, to walk with you, to talk, to commune with you throughout the day, 24-7. Father, we thank you that you've provided a way through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're just so grateful. We're so grateful for the Holy Spirit, our helper, the one that you have sent, our comforter, our teacher. All that we need is provided in the third person of the Godhead that you have graciously sent to us. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. And we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, your eternal truths would be communicated from this pulpit today I pray through the power of your spirit you would open our hearts, open our minds, encourage our faith. Be exalted, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared last week that we can only imagine how the disciples must have felt when Jesus told them the places and, and the people he was sending them to share the gospel with, to be witnesses, to be witnesses. Jerusalem was where Jesus was executed at the word of an angry mob. And we see clearly that the good news of Jesus Christ is for people who hate Christ. Judea rejected his ministry. Again, we see clearly that the good news of Jesus Christ is for people who, who reject Christ. 
And Samaria was regarded as a wasteland of impure Jews. Samaritans intermarried with foreigners and were considered half-breeds. They were despised by the Jews. They also embraced a religion that was a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. We see clearly that the good news of Jesus Christ is for people who worship false gods, the, the God of materialism. Oh, a God who is well known in our culture today, who is loved and served and followed in our culture here in America. The end of the year speaks of every people group. The gospel was for Gentiles too, not just for the Jews. Gentiles were non-Jews, and so we see clearly that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul reaffirms what Jesus simply states as a matter of fact. Paul declares, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, the Gentile. And most of us here today are Gentiles. We're not Jewish. Please keep Romans chapter 1 verse 16 on the screen for, for just a moment. I believe there are 32 words in this one verse. Now, I know many of you are going to count to see if I'm right. But there is one word that really jumps out and grabs me as I've been in prayer and in study this week. And the word is everyone. Everyone. Can we say everyone? Did everyone say everyone? Everyone is a wonderful word. Maybe there's someone here today who feels that there is something about you, about your life that rules you out. Wrong family. Wrong race. Wrong culture. Wrong background. Wrong moral track record. Please hear this today. Please, hear what the Spirit of the Lord says through the Word of God. The gospel of Christ means good news. It is the power of God to salvation for who believes. The gospel is not exclusive. It is inclusive. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's for you. No matter your place, position, in life. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for you, for everyone. To God be the glory. Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you, everyone in the world, that he gave his only begotten son, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word power in both Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Romans 1, 16, 
15 come from the same Greek word, dunamis. It is the power of God. If you're taking notes, the word dunamis, the Greek word dunamis means the power of God. Jesus said, but you shall receive power, the dunamis of God, the power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Dunamis is used 121 times in the New Testament and is translated into the following English words, ability. Write these words down if you're taking notes. Ability. The dunamis of God gives us ability. Strength. The dunamis of God gives us strength. The dunamis of God, the power of God, gives us ability, special ability. Heaven's ability, divine ability. The dunamis, the power of God, gives us heaven's strength, God's strength, divine strength, power. Might, heaven's might, God's might, abundance, dunamis, the power of God gives us abundance, heaven's abundance, God's abundance. How many need heaven's abundance today? How many need God's abundance today? Supply. Dunamis, the power of God, gives us God's supply, abundance, virtue. The dunamis of God, the power of God, gives us, imprints in our deepest being of who we are, his character. And it's visible, Paul writes about this, and we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. The Apostle Paul, next week we're going to transition the Holy Spirit according to the Apostle Paul. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ, the character of God, and the Holy Spirit imprints. He he pours into us. In the deepest part of our being, who God is, his character, his virtue. Paul refers to it as the fruit of the Spirit. Love. God's love is poured out into our hearts. Paul writes about this when he writes to the church in Rome. Worker of miracles, this dunamis of God, this power of God. Mighty works. This dunamis, this this power. Wow. And there's so much more contained in God's word about this word used 121 times in the New Testament. Dunamis, the power of God, heaven's power, 
The Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God and every born-again follower of Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul, we too have been separated to the gospel of God. We've been saved by that gospel. We've been, we've been separated to the gospel of God. We have a mission. We have a job description. And Acts 1.8 lays it out clearly for all of God's followers. He goes on to write, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets, the Old Testament prophets, in the Holy Scriptures, in God's word, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Every page of scripture, starting in Genesis, reveals Jesus, the son of God. In the gospel project, as we continue this journey, unfolds this in such a beautiful, clear, life-transforming way who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul says declared to be the Son of God with power. Jesus declared to be the Son of God with power. Promised before through his prophets the Old Testament prophets in the Holy Scriptures declared to be the Son of God with power. And the word power, the Greek word there is dunamis. The power of God. Dunamis, the power of God, was, was evident that Jesus was and is the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, it says, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man, Jesus, get this wisdom and these mighty works? And the, the word mighty works, the Greek, the Greek structure of those two words comes from dunamis, the power of God. Where did this man, Jesus, get this wisdom, these, these mighty works, this dunamis, the, the power of God? Luke 4.15 says, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus carried God's stamp of approval on his life because of the dunamis that was working in and, and through him. Dunamis, the power of God, was visible evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. Luke 19, 37 says, The whole multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works, the dunamis, power of God, they had seen. Dunamis can be seen. It was visible evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. And this dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, will receive, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, 
Jesus said, you'll receive power. You will receive dunamis. The power of God will come upon you. It's God's stamp of approval. He doesn't see you in your own self-righteousness. He sees you wrapped in the righteousness of the Holy One, Jesus Christ. He gave him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And when we become the righteousness of Christ, we become a candidate, an invitation to heaven's throne room for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Jesus made a simple statement. You shall receive power, dunamis, God's power. Heaven's power. That's amazing. Amazing grace. Oh, Spirit of God, open our hearts, open our minds to the truth of your glorious word. Let's back up for just a moment to Romans chapter 1. Please, let's keep in mind, Deuteronomy, the power of God is the visible evidence that the church belongs to God. This building isn't the church. You and I are the church. Dunamis, the power of God, is the f- visible evidence that the church, that you and I belong to God and are set apart by God for his redemptive mission that God has given us to do. He's commissioned us. Romans 1, verses 4 through 5. Again, Paul writes, A bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul says something that is very important for us not to gloss over quickly. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Dunamis and holiness go together. The power of God and the holiness of God go together. When the dunamis of God is working in our lives, it will produce holiness. The holiness of God. Dunamis, the power of God, sets us apart unto God and establishes God's standard and character within us. So that all we are and all we do is a visible witness of God's glory and God's grace in our lives. Isn't that glorious? Incredibly powerful. True dunamis deals with sloppy grace. Sloppy agape. Agape, Greek word for God's love. 
undisciplined living, hardness of heart, and so much more. Last Sunday, I shared when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit combine, combustion happens and power results. And Jesus instructed his disciples that when the Holy Spirit came, he would testify about him, about Jesus. Teaching on the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Just like Jesus revealed the Father to us, so the Holy Spirit's role is to reveal the Son, Jesus Christ, to us to the world. The Holy Spirit rejoices, please hear this this morning, the Holy Spirit rejoices in placing all attention and focus on the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and King. Coming King. One day he will come back. Not to go to the cross, but to establish his throne in the new Jerusalem. Are you ready? Are you ready? In Matthew 24, Jesus several times says, be ready, be ready, be ready. Are you ready? Have you placed your faith and trust in the one and only one who can make you ready? His name is Jesus Christ. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. The the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on the risen and ascended incoming Christ. Jesus said in John 16, 14, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Whatever true move of God begins with the Holy Spirit, always ends in Jesus Christ being glorified. If Jesus isn't being glorified, beware. The scripture in the spirit will always glorify Jesus and testify of him. In John 5, 39, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. Powerful, the word of God, the holy scripture and the holy spirit testify of Jesus Christ. Both exalt his name, both glorify Jesus Christ. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit share a dynamic relationship of independence. The Holy Spirit works with the Word and through the Word, but not without the Word of God. I shared last Sunday how Ezekiel 37 is a helpful um, demonstration of how both the the Word of God and the Holy Spirit uh, work together in unison. The context of Ezekiel 37 is Israel's disobedience that had led to their spiritual death as a nation. The prophet was called upon to resurrect a nation that was spiritually dead toward God. We all have people in our lives that are spiritually dead toward God. We live in a a nation that's spiritually dead, prominently spiritually dead toward God. 
God questioned the prophet about whether the nation was beyond hope. You ever feel like America has reached that point where it's beyond hope? Maybe a a, a spouse, or maybe a son, a daughter, a neighbor, an, an aunt, an uncle, a mother, a father? Ezekiel 37, 3. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel had a vision of a valley of hundreds and thousands of, of dry, dead bones. God questioned the prophet about whether the nation was beyond hope. Son of man, can these bones live? Hundreds and thousands of dry, dead bones. God gave him a vivid, vivid, vivid vision of Israel's true spiritual condition. Spiritually dead in their rebellion, their sin, their indifference towards the things of God. The situation seemed so hopeless, Ezekiel responded by telling the Lord that only he knew the answer. In Ezekiel 37, 4, God commanded Ezekiel to preach. To preach the popular opinion of your day, Ezekiel. Preach. Tell these bones a compelling story. Preach, prophesy to these bones. Ezekiel, your petty preferences. No. He commanded Ezekiel to preach, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Not Ezekiel's opinion, not his compelling story, not what the culture says they want to hear. You know, there are, there are surveys taken in churches where um, the survey goes out and, 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 and the, the church is asked, what do you want to hear preached? And these surveys are collected and and they, 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 they see, you know, a common theme and, and they set up their, their preaching schedule based on what the people want to hear. And so they have a steady diet of, of hearing what they want to hear, but not what they need to hear. And that's a real danger. It looks innocent. That's how it begins. No, he said, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Prophecy in this context refers to the declaration of the word of God. There's something very important for us not to miss here. God taught Ezekiel that resurrection life begins with the word of God proclaimed. The word of truth, the absolute truth of God word proclaimed the effect of the word was powerful as you read through the entire chapter absolutely powerful the effect of the word Ezekiel 37 7 says the bones came together bone to bone 
But the story doesn't end there. If the story ended there, all we would have is an army of lifeless skeletons. Next, God told Ezekiel that something was missing. He told the prophet in verse 8, but there was no breath in them. There can be a group of people that have the name church written on them, but the reality is they're just a bunch of lifeless skeletons, void of the breath of heaven. And this was part of the vision that God gave Ezekiel. And so he commands Ezekiel to to prophesy. The Hebrew word for breath is translated spirit and speaks to God's life-giving breath. In verse 9 of Ezekiel 37, the Lord commanded Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Ezekiel 37.10 says, so, so Ezekiel prophesied as he was commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, and they lived. Church, Whatever the Holy Spirit breathes into comes to life. How many know someone who is a hater of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many know someone who's a rejecter of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many know somebody, their God is materialism? They live for the God of materialism. They wake up every day pursuing the God of materialism. Indifferent towards God because of their religion. They remain in that dead state until the breath of God enters their spiritual condition. The Holy Spirit's life-giving breath is why Hebrews 4.12 speaks of the word of God as being living and active. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, what is right for reproof, what is not right for correction, how to get right for instruction in God's righteousness, how to stay right. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are not separable. We find in both the Old and New Testament that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are in constant, continuous, collaborating relationship. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit form a powerful, powerful catalyst. The Word activates the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit authenticates the Word. The Word is the wit and witness of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the inward witness of Christ in us and those that we share the gospel to. In terms of our witnessing, our sharing of the gospel, the Word is the source and substance of our sharing. Amen. The Word that became flesh and lived among us, that Word being Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the supernatural power of our sharing, the dunamis power of God. 
The Word and the Holy Spirit together are co-laborers for Christ. Here's the practical application for us today. Powerful and effective witnessing happens when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the church, you and me, all testify to Jesus Christ in a unified and God-glorifying way. The result will be the dunamis, the power of God at work with visible evidence for all to see. The scriptures are Christ-centered. The holy scriptures, inspired by God, God's truth, God's truth, unadulterated truth, the scriptures are centered, are Christ-centered, centered on Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 39, they, the scriptures, testify about me. Christ is on every page. We're going to see this so powerfully and clearly through the Gospel Project, which was launched today. And wow, the response. I'm so encouraged by the response. We, we had so many people responding. We didn't have enough classrooms to contain all the people that came today. That's a good problem to have, and we're going to correct that next week. I promise you. And thank you for your patience. Incredible. Blown away. Your hunger, your hunger for the word of God, to know God, to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to serve the body of Christ and share the gospel of Christ, to grow in the one story that is your story. God's story is your story. What a journey this is going to be. The Holy Spirit is Christ in it as well. Jesus said in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit has come to reveal Christ to the world. The, the true Christian or the true church the true Christ follower is Christ-centered as well. The scriptures, the true scriptures are Christ-centered. The true Holy Spirit is Christ-centered because there are false moves of God that some profess are moves of the Holy Spirit. And so I have to say the true Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. The true scriptures are Christ-centered. The true church is Christ-centered. The apostle Paul, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is a foundational principle for Holy Spirit, dunamis-led witnessing. Whenever you witness, this applies to preaching too, pastors. I'm preaching to me. And to my wonderful team. To all the preachers out here. Give the Holy Spirit something he can testify to. Spirit-led witnessing or preaching calls us to give the Spirit something he can work with when we witness or, or when we preach. He doesn't 
testify apart from the word of God. Give him the word of God. Give him something to testify to. The Holy Spirit is not interested in working with our opinions. Our opinions will never transform a life dead in their trespasses and sin. The Holy Spirit is not interested in working with our petty preferences, our feel-good stories, or our colorful commentary. Instead, share the scripture, preach the word, give witness to Christ, talk about the power of the gospel that transformed your life. What I loved about touring the Billy Graham Library a couple years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina with my wife is halfway through, I looked at my wife and I said, I asked my wife the question. I, I, I said, Han, are, are, you, are you witnessing, are you experiencing what I'm witnessing? What I'm experiencing, this library is not about Billy Graham. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the grace of God that saved a man named Billy Graham. I wanted to get saved all over again and my wife was having the same experience and she wanted to get saved all over again because that's what the scripture does. That's what the Holy Spirit does and that's what the church is supposed to do. Exalt and glorify and testify of Jesus Christ and the amazing grace of God that saves a wretch like me and like you. And when we begin to understand and just a little bit of this amazing truth we can't help when we gather on Sunday mornings to lift our hands, to lift our hearts, and to lift our voices in the one who's worthy of our praise. You know, in the world, you have to work the crowd up. In the church, we shouldn't have to work the crowd up. Oh, let's keep going. Church. The Holy Spirit will always have something to testify to in our witnessing or in our preaching when it centers on Christ and Christ alone. Is there too much of us in our witnessing? Is there too much of us in our testifying? Is there too much of us in our preaching? And there's just a little bit of Jesus. And if there's a little bit of Jesus, don't expect the dunamis of God to come and transform a life. God's not going to share his glory. He never has. He never will. Simply drawing Christ into the mix as a passing thought, but not the main thought. And that's what the gospel project does so well. Exalts Christ. But simply throwing Christ into the mix as a passing thought, but not the main thought, is not honoring Christ, the word, or the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we're not exalting Christ, when we're not testifying to Christ, we actually are grieving the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. When the emphasis is on us, when we talk more about us and the overemphasis is on us 
And as we talk about us, and if we do that week after week, sermon after sermon, the truth of the matter is this. Those stories become exaggerated and not true. Half truth is a full lie. Dunamis, the power of God will be visibly evident when God's truth is shared. By talking about Christ from Scripture, you and I are drawing the power of the Holy Spirit into our witnessing. Pastors, into our preaching. When the Holy Spirit confronts, and he does, we have a God who confronts. Because we have a loving, loving father. Dad, have you, a, have you ever confronted a son, a daughter, because you love them? God loves us and he confronts us. The Holy Spirit is, is, is confronting. He confronts because we have a father in heaven who loves us and we need to be confronted with our rebellion, with our hardness of heart, with our sin. Gospel-centered preaching always talks about sin. The negative consequences of it and why the gospel is good news. Because the good news of the gospel addresses the negative effect of sin. The full gospel is not the full gospel if we never preach about sin. When the Holy Spirit confronts, convicts, and convinces, people leave with their faith in Christ and Christ alone, and wow, life change really begins to happen. God is glorified. All of heaven breaks out, and they have a worship celebration in heaven like nothing we've ever experienced on this side of heaven. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians, in my speech and my preaching, we're not with persuasive um, words of human wisdom. We have so much of that. I don't, want, I don't want to preach human wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, the word power there is dunamis, the power of God, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're trying to do God's work in man's wisdom. And man's wisdom is void of dunamis, the power of God. And so we're like that dog that just keeps chasing its tail. How many are tired of chasing the tail? Our calling is to give witness to and glorify Christ by putting our confidence in the word of God and the Holy Spirit, the dunamis power of God. You and I are not responsible for changing lives and, and opening hearts. The Holy Spirit is. But how many of us, we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit and so we get in his way. Dan and, and Ken, would you stand up for just a moment? I'm witnessing, I'm witnessing, or should I say Dan's witnessing, he's witnessing to, to Ken. And he, 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 he's got this strategy, man, he's got this slick plan, he's got these incredible illustrations, he, 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 he surfed the internet, man, he, he really spent hours searching the internet, and he, he came up with all these incredible illustrations and formulas, man, he was ready, he searched the internet, 
I mean, he was ready. I mean, he's going to town. And, and, and here the Holy Spirit is. But he, 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 he's got all this stuff on the internet that he's sharing with Ken. And here's the Holy Spirit. But as Dan's sharing, this is what he's doing. He never prayed. He never prayed. He's been at it for two hours and he never broke open the word of God. He never once shared a scripture. He never once talked about sin in Ken's life. And the Holy Spirit's there and say, oh, let me confront Ken because I love him. Let me convict Ken because I love him. Let me convince Ken of God's truth because I love him. We do that, don't we? Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Hmm. Oh. Spirit and power witnessing and preaching is transformational witnessing that points people to Christ's redemptive power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's not a command, it was a simple statement of fact. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. And the word witness is a key word in the book of Acts. It's used 23 times. Here are three things on what it means to be a witness. One, a true witness tells what he or she knows. When you're on a witness stand in court, the judge is not interested in your ideas or opinions. He only wants to hear what you know. What do you know about God's story? The judge and the jury want to know. Number two, a true witness shares what he has experienced. If you have a personal gospel story, you've experienced it. How many have a personal gospel story? You're still experiencing it, by the way. Share it. God's story is your story. And number three, a true witness remains loyal to the end. I shared last week that our English word martyr comes from the Greek word translated witness. And many of God's people over the centuries have sealed their witness by laying down their lives. They remain loyal to the end, even in the face of death. And how many of us, we're afraid to share this this truth, this message, this good news, this gospel with a friend, a childhood friend. Because we're worried that they might think we're weird. They might not want to be my friend anymore. Or we are hesitant to share because if we do, that means I need to adjust my behavior around them that I enjoy. It's going to hold me accountable if I share. But every time you're around them, they're like that vision of those dead, dry bones in the valley, spiritually dead, lifeless, dead in their trespasses and sin. Unless the the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ opens their hearts and the breath of the spirit of God breathes 
into their dead state. That's how they will be for all eternity. Doesn't that burden you? Boy, it burdens me. I can be a a, a more faithful witness, and I want to. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on Pat Medeiros. If the worship team would make their way up on the platform, Jesus is telling his disciples right before he returns to his father, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have a firsthand account. You will witness dunamis, my presence, my power. My presence, power. Transforming your life. You will know my presence and power. You will experience my presence and power in you and and working through you. The dunamis of God will save you, transform you, strengthen you, and will do the miraculous through you, revealing God's love and glorifying Christ through you in amazing ways. He will take the ordinary, you and me, and we will witness the extraordinary, the haters, the rejecters the idol worshipers religious and people of different cultural backgrounds will witness the visible evidence of the power of the gospel of Christ in your life and in my life for the glory of Christ the glory of the risen one the glory of God would you stand with me and I encourage you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to burn into your heart the burden for lost souls to come to Christ through the spirit-empowered witnessing and preaching that shines the spotlight on Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. That apart from his death and glorious resurrection, we remain spiritually dead in our sins. That apart from the good news of Jesus Christ, we remain hopelessly lost let's sing this song as a prayer call out call out to God right where you're standing right where you're sitting